Hi, Jen. Hi, Tisha. I'll tell you something that happened to me yesterday. I don't yeah. know if you're superstitious at all. Uh, not really, but I, I always like to hear stories. I was driving my kids. I was going to drop my kids off at school and then I was going to the passport office. Mm-hmm. And as I'm driving my kids to school, a black cat like crosses in front of my car. So I have to slam on the brakes. I was, and I took, I looked at my kids. I was like, guys, that's bad luck. And then there was like a whole conversation about how it's not really bad luck and whatever. And my daughter loves cats. It's like, cats are not bad luck. I'm like, well, it's only black cats. And she's like, how dare people say that? I'm like, okay, well, whatever. But I was a little bit thinking. I can see uh, everyone rationalizing you out of it being like, mommy, that's just silly. So I get to the passport office, which I've booked my appointment for. And I have the photo, like I have all my, all my things. And she starts asking me like questions about my husband, like, where, where's your husband? And I'm like, is he with you? And I'm like, no. She's like, where is he? I'm like at work. She's like, where's he work? I'm like, what is going on here? I didn't get him to sign the application for the kids' passports. It only had my signature on it. Oh, I had to leave and come back. And ever since then, I've been blaming it on, blaming it on that damn black cat. That is all. But that happened before you saw the cat. No, you had the papers together. Didn't you? Yes, but I still think it was like somehow because at that point you couldn't have had John sign the papers without nope. going to school. Nope. I know. I was blaming on the black cat anyway. So I had to go back again today. And can't you everything. just mail that stuff in or are you are on a timeline? Yes. Yeah, so because we're planning to travel within 25 business days, I need to go in person and like it's a whole thing. Like you have to make an appointment and that kind of Anyways, they're really nice about it. And I got my appointment. And so everything's okay now. We shall see. But yeah, <laughs> it should be fine. I got now. that done. They I wouldn't have told done. you there. They wouldn't have accepted it if there was going to be any more problems, I don't think. Based on my multitude of experiences with passports in two countries and all of that stuff. No, I mean, they go over everything right there in front of you. So I'm sure that everything is fine. Funny story about passports, Logan's, my eldest's first passport we got when he was two weeks old. And it's not easy to get an infant's passport picture. And we got it done and I get bring it up there and the woman's like, I can't accept this. And we went somewhere that does passport pictures. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're, they're like, there's a line through it. And there was like faint line through it. So it didn't work. So we had to go mm-hmm. do it again fun yeah and you know like I was two weeks post like c-section it was not I think it was actually my first real outing after he was born so yeah that I it's hard for me not to think of that experience when I think about passport renewal and like my kids were hilarious taking the passport photo because you're not allowed to smile which is like completely contrary to what what they've been taught children yeah (laughs) so my youngest face is like whatever they accepted the photo but I think it's hilarious because I don't think it's really like it's not really her resting face it's more of like a it doesn't, it's not really what they look like it's yeah it's more of like a I'm not supposed to smile I don't know are any of <laughs> them real is it ever really your resting face like I look at mine some of mine and I'm like I really hope I don't look like that when I'm just sitting there I look remarkably like my mother 
in my passport photo and in everyday life. I mean, I think you do. I, I, you I just did. do. You just do. I, I asked my husband today how much he thinks a nose job costs because <laughs> he's like, what you want a nose job? I was like, yeah. He's like, why? I'm like, so I don't look like my mom anymore. I can't take it. <laughs> like I just look in the mirror and I'm like, I look like my mother. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> what can I do to look different? <laughs> Oh my God. Does your mom listen? <laughs> That's amazing. So, that is amazing. I, I mean, does my mom listen? I She listens to some episodes sometimes. Yes. So hopefully she's not listening to this one. Jerry, Tisha loves you. She just doesn't want to look so much like you. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I sent you a, a video for an in, IG oh, thing yeah. we were making the other day. And yeah, like, you did look video, like your like, mom there actually. I'm just looking at the video. I'm like, oh my God, I look like my mother. Like it's just, guys, we're going to have to like share a picture of me and my mom somewhere. So you can I think, see. I think next, I think about. after we, this episode <laughs> releases, we're going to do that. We're definitely going to yeah. do that. Um, <laughs> speaking of this episode, this episode, so much fun. I really enjoyed this conversation and talking to her. And um, Amber is going to talk to us about her experience going to jail. She signed a plea, bar- a plea deal or a plea bargain or whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. So she's not able, and she's trying to um, apply for clemency. So that means that she's not really able to go into a lot of detail about what her, like the actual details of her case. So she talks a bit more about her experience. However, I will link articles in the show notes where you can read more about her actual case. Um, and she's like, I don't know. It was a really fun conversation. I absolutely in she's true to form. I didn't know anything about her besides what Tisha told me. So I had no like zero clue what to expect. I actually didn't have any like preconceived notions, which we talk a lot about in the episode about what somebody who's been to prison is like, but I feel like, you know, Amber and Tisha and I could easily sit down and drink pots of coffee together or bottles of wine and just hang out. So it was super fun. And I hope you guys have fun listening to it as much as I had fun recording it. Yes. And don't forget, if you want to support the show, we have our Patreon. Mm -hmm. which is an amazing way to help us keep putting these episodes out. Uh, If a monthly subscription isn't for you, you can also uh, buy us a coffee or three, and that is super helpful as well. It all goes directly into costs of producing the show and shows us that you love the work we're doing. And if you can't do any of that, share with all your friends and enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm Jen, and welcome back to Now What? And I'm Tisha. Today, we're going to be joined by Amber, and she is the founder of the Bean Down Project, which is how I found her and reached out to her and asked her to be on the show for us this week. She's also a mom and a former spec ed administrator, and she also spent 11 months in prison, which is what we're going to talk about today, right? So welcome, Amber. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Like I said, I'm really excited. Um, this is my first international podcast. So. <laughs> Hello, Canada. Um, unfortunately, 
I can't visit there anymore because I am a felon. So yes. it makes me sad. And I like, I know this is a podcast. I mean, I don't even know stereotypically what a felon would look like, but Amber, mm -hmm. you're not what one would think a felon might look like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that there's so many preconceptions of what that looks like. For sure. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you are university educated, mm -hmm. right? Like we don't, I don't know, like that's also something we don't think of when we think of who ends up going to yeah. prison. And I um, was guilty of it myself, right? Yeah. Because before I went to prison, I never thought about prison, right? And you just think, okay, somebody does something bad and they go to prison, right? It's bad people, right? It's a place for bad people. And, you know, that's one of the first things I get all the time. Oh my God, I never would have thought you went to prison. And so then that became this question, like, well, what does someone who was incarcerated look like? Mm -hmm. Right. While I was incarcerated, I was incarcerated with oncologists, you know, lawyers, um, you know, accountants, administrators, like just people from all walks of life. Right. And then some other people maybe, you know, that were addicted to substances and different things, too. So, you know, there was no stereotypical look, though, of what, you know, someone mm -hmm. incarcerated looked like, you know, totally. But I feel yeah. like because of like what we see, whether it's fictional or not you have this idea in your head, I think, of what, yeah. right? Who's in No, jail. definitely, especially like in the movies, right? Um, yeah, you gotta be tough. You gotta be kind of rough around the edges. Yeah, like, yeah, that's one of my jokes. Like, I've never been in a physical altercation. Like, oh my God, I'm gonna go to prison and I don't know how to fight, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, I have like zero self-defense skills. So I'm like, um, what's gonna happen, you know, when I go to prison <laughs> and somebody tries to like, you know, rough me up or something, you know, but luckily that never happened. But like, just as these are the things that are portrayed in the media. And so yeah. this is what I'm thinking that I was going to have to be up against. So I yeah. would totally think of that if I was in that position, I'd be like, I, yeah, I, same thing. So you never imagined you were going to go in jail. Like you didn't grow up around people who were being incarcerated. No. And oh, no. so how do you end up going to prison? So I end up going to prison. Um, my charge was mail fraud and I responded to an email on my federal government account and they deemed it to be um, inappropriate. And they said that was, that's how it's the charge is mail fraud, right? Now, the funny thing is when I went to prison and everybody found out that my charge was mail fraud, they're like, oh, or were you sending drugs in the mail, right? Because that's typically yeah. what the charge mail fraud kind of goes to, or yeah. if you're tampering with someone's mail or stealing checks or something out of the mail, it's generally to do with that. But no one had ever heard of it as email, but you could, you know, it means like a scheme. So they felt that I devised a scheme through this email and mm -hmm. that is how I got um the charge mail fraud mm -hmm. now they and also investigated me for years I was investigated from 2012 until 2019 so, so this, that is this a long time. did this happen this happened in like 2012 2011 it happened 2012. in actually 2011 okay right and then they started investigating us in 2012 and then I got indicted in 2017 and then I got sentenced in 2019. So this was a really long drawn yes. out situation. It was mentally like just exhausting. Yeah. yeah. Emotionally, just having something looming over your head, 
for years is, you know, it's just a lot to deal with. And then on top of that, like financially having to have an attorney for that many years, you know, I was relieved almost when it was over, you know, I wasn't happy with the outcome, but at least there was an outcome. You know what I mean? Right. That makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. At least it was over. Exactly. That yeah. part. <laughs> this part is over. At least I know what my next step is, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you knew they were investigating you all of those years. Like the whole time they came to me, I got an attorney, I worked with them and I was really, everything was really amicable and I never really understood what they were doing. Right. Because every time they would come with a different charge. So mail fraud is just finally what they landed on. And again, I really feel that that was over a technicality. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But they tried every charge and that's what my attorney says that the federal u.s government um they try to take any charge they have and they throw it at you and whatever sticks sticks right Right. and most people um end up playing out because and that's why they have like a 98.99 percent um conviction rate right because you can't outspend the federal government no matter how hard I try, you know what I mean? Like they have unlimited resources and unlimited Mm -hmm. money. So it was also really intimidating seeing my name versus the United States government on a piece of paper, right? So, you know, they use these intimidation tactics. Like I had met with them probably at least 10 times, but in 2017, they showed up to my house at 6.15 in the morning with the FBI, with the DC local police and with the US Marshals with their guns drawn. And, oh they, and they pulled me out of the house with shackles. Now, this is a nonviolent offense. I have never been in any trouble before. And they came to my house. I live on a small street in a little cul-de-sac at 6.15 in the morning and pulled me out of my house, right? With my two-year-old son, he's screaming. It was just really unnecessary, mm-hmm. you know? necessarily aggressive but that was one of their scare tactics like and that's kind of what the fbi is known to do they use all of these scare tactics on you and not to mention the amount of resources that they used just to come and get me i would have surrendered you know if you wanted to indict me you could have called my attorney like you've been doing and saying hey we need to have this meeting and i show up and then i was only i think i was incarcerated for about seven hours and they let me go because they knew that I didn't, I wasn't going to run and because I had a family and I wasn't a threat. So it's very unnecessary. <laughs> well, yeah. And I would have to imagine just traumatic. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Like, and it's essentially for an email. No, definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Work, uh, like how- for work stuff too, right? Like, Well, I was going to say, if you weren't working for a federal agency, would this have even... Now, if I if I was in actually even in a state, right, because D.C. is not considered a state, state, right, then I don't even know that this would have been an issue at all. Gotcha. So. Right. But it became a federal issue Mm -hmm. because of your job. Yes. Just the idea that they would show up with that many people for an email is just wild to me. Well, Mm -hmm. those resources could be going to better use to so much arresting a mom (laughs) you know what I mean who doesn't have a criminal history at all who they have no Mm -hmm. reason like 
they would have no reason to think that you're going to be violent. No. For example, like sometimes they know this person has a history of being violent towards the police or something. Mm -hmm. Right. You have no previous record. They have no reason to think that you're going to be violent towards them. Like, like you said, just contact my lawyer and I'll turn myself in. Yeah. People like I have just been coming. I didn't want to ever go and meet with them. Right. Because it was the worst, but I always showed up. Right. And that or was even send, or send an agent to the house if you have to. Even if you if you something like, like, one, like one or two. <laughs> one or two. But I mean, like it they were like in my grass, like hiding, like they I was like, oh my God. And oh. it's so funny because I was um I usually I had started doing Bikram yoga and I usually was at the 6 a.m. um class. And that morning I was like, I am so lazy, I don't want to go. Um so I think it was almost a good thing because if they had have pulled me out of yoga, I would have been so mortified. Mortified. <laughs> right. And um the day before there was an agent sitting outside of my house. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was taking my son to the library, right? Because I was a stay-at-home mom at that point, because right. they had put me on administrative leave from my job while they were investigating me, which is another thing, a waste of resources, right? So again, like I said, I was investigated from 2012 until 2019. So they paid me my salary and benefits that entire time. Wow. This is from like a failing school district, right? Like DC's school system is not amazing. So to take these resources away, right? right? Um, Yes from a failing school district was ridiculous. So I was taking my son to the library and like, they were just waiting outside my house, looking at me, I guess, just checking my schedule to see when I was leaving, when I was coming back. And they sure enough caught me that morning. So I'm assuming that they would have seen me go to yoga. Yeah. But the law is that you cannot get anyone before 6 a.m. if you come to their house like that. Oh. Yeah. So, so they waited until 6.15. So they waited. They, I got a 15 minute grace period, you know? Amazing. That's crazy. So they arrest you. And what is your lawyer telling you at this point? Like, so it took me a while to even be able to get a phone call, right? Because then they, they take me through these shenanigans, right? And again, like I was in shackles. So my hands are clasped. Then I have the long chain going down to my ankles. Now, I had never been arrested before. And it was, um, it was October. And I just needed to throw something quick on. So I think I had on like the, a white V-neck shirt that I was sleeping in. I threw on like some boyfriend jeans and like Birkenstocks. Okay. So this is me. Not your mom uniform. <laughs> right, my super mom uniform, right? Like headed to like, I'm like shuffling. And so I didn't know that I should have put on socks because those um, shackles really hurt your ankles. Right. So I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I'm, first of all, I'm in shock and they're just like business as usual. They're like cracking jokes. I'm like in a car with like three agents, you know, in the back seat. And they're like, oh, I wish I had gotten Starbucks. You know, do you think we could stop and get Starbucks? And I'm like, you assholes are ruining my life. And you're talking about, you know, getting Starbucks. And Cause this just, just what they do every day. Every day, this is what we do. We ruin your life every fucking day, right? So, yeah. oh my God. so they um take me first to the FBI building where I get um my photos taken and fingerprinted. And that's the first stop. Then they, and then they put me in a cell there. Then they take me to the DC local jail 
where they fingerprint me again, and then I get a second set of mug shots. Then they take me to the US Marshall building where they fingerprint me again, and I get my third set of mug shots, right? Now, I've never seen any of these mug shots. Because, you know, sometimes you can Google someone and their mug shot comes, shot comes up. up. Yeah. Well, none of mine do. And I'm a little sad by it, right? <laughs> um, because I'm just curious to see, like, how they turn know. out. Right. And the progression from the first one to the third one, uh, right? Because in a matter of like hours. Exactly. Hours have set in. And so I was finally allowed to call my attorney. And when they came to get me from my house, I had told my husband, hey, get my cell phone, you know, my attorney's number, call him and tell him what's happening. And, you know, also call my co-defendant because she was in California. So it was three hours earlier. And I'm like, they're probably going to come for her as well. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it was very stressful. And after that, I knew that it was very serious, right? Like I just wasn't completely sure up until that point because I would go meet with them. They say, say, okay, let me, how about this charge? And then my attorney would be like, no, because X, Y, and Z. And they'd be like, okay. And then they'd go away for maybe four to five months right. and then they'd come back again. And then they'd go away for another four to five months, right? So and they so- are just not letting it go. Never. They're, they're incessant, right? And it is nonstop for years. And so I'm just like, oh, this has just become a part of my life. Like, oh my God, here come the FBI again. You know what I mean? Um, well, and they're and- dragging it out so much that it's like, I mean, if they had, you'd think if they had something, this would be over by now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, and they indicted me in 2017 because that was when the statute of limitations was up. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So even if I wasn't convicted, they were able to kind of buy themselves um, some time because in order to indict me, you know, they have to get um, permission from a grand jury. Mm-hmm. And so what my attorney always said is that they will indict a ham sandwich, right? Like it's really easy to get a grand jury to give them permission to get an, ind- an indictment. So I would be really interested in being a part of that process and just kind of seeing how that mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Um, which is one of the reasons why I would love to get a pardon because right now my civil liberties are stripped from me. So that's one of the things I can't do is serve on a jury. Right. Yeah. Which is actually okay. the only um, thing I, I would, I miss because in DC I'm able to, um, to vote. And you are I'm, able to vote. Okay. I'm not able to bear arms, which right. I don't necessarily care too much about that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm not able to run for office, which I also don't see. Oh, actually now you can run for office um, with a criminal record. There's currently someone in the DC jail who is in office. He's like a local ANC. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I think like, I can't, I should know since I live in Canada, but I don't, but a lot of these things are, they differ from state to state and region right. to region. They do. That, yeah. That in terms of like being able to hold office and stuff, where I don't know if provincially here in Canada it's the same. Mm-hmm. I couldn't answer it either. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's probably one of the things that somebody wouldn't think about until they're in a position. You're faced with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until they're in a position like you are. But that's been a lot of things now that I'm like, oh, well, you know, like I know my husband was going to get a, a, a gun and he had applied for the license. But I wouldn't have been allowed to 
return to the house if he had. Oh, yeah, because... I was going to say, you couldn't even have it in the home, right? No. You had a trial by jury? No. So no. I okay. Just because you were talking about wanting to serve on a jury, you did not. I, okay. No. Um, so the jury, so the grand jury is what determines if you can get an indictment in federal trial, right? Like, so there's kind of a difference between federal law and then state law. And then since DC is not a state, there's local laws. But what's interesting is DC only has a jail. And so jails, and again, I didn't know any of this, jails are only for short term. Right. right. Generally are housed until you are convicted. So most of the time it's very transient. Um, once you are convicted, you go to prison, but there are no prisons in DC. So they serve their time at federal prison, which is where I went, but my crime was federal. So I right. had to go, mm -hmm. to, I was incarcerated in West Virginia, which is about four and a half hours away from DC. Wow. So that, I imagine would make it difficult for visits with family and friends. Mm -hmm. And my son at the time, he yeah. was three. So, you know, three-year-olds don't want to talk on the phone. No. You know? no. They want it's to not like you get, well, and you can't FaceTime or anything like that. There's it's no FaceTime. They did have video visits, um, okay, okay. but you had to, um, you could only do a certain amount a week and you, you, it was really hard to schedule them. So I was tr I tried to do video visits at least once a week, but he still was not really even into video visits, no. right? And then it was heartbreaking too, because every time I saw him, he says, well, mommy, when are you coming home? You know, mm -hmm. because I didn't tell him where I was going because, you know, children that age, everything is very black and white. So, you know, he's just thinking, okay, mommy's going to prison because she's a bad person, right? right? And I didn't want him to think that. So no. I lied and said that I was going away to work. He still doesn't know today, you know, and I'm wondering. Did they, did, so did he ever come to visit you in person there? But he was just too little to really know what it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was, I was at a camp, which is the lowest level. Like minimum security. System. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So it goes like um, minimum, low, medium, and then high. Gotcha. So I don't know why the difference between minimum and low, but I was in the, I was in minimum. There were not even any um, bars or gates. So like if one wanted to escape, you could just walk off the compound. Right. Right. Um, we were just all knew we were being punished and we knew better. So we just stayed on the compound. <laughs> right. right? Um, I even had a job. Um, and this is what is so ridiculous about the prison system. So when I went to my sentencing hearing, so first I was convicted and then like they waited like a month and then I had to go back and get sentenced. And when you get sentenced, you're allowed to um, get letters of support and you can have, have people come and speak on your behalf to talk about what a good person you are. Please don't send my friend to jail, you know, da, 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 da. So, um, I, in my, I spoke to the judge afterwards and I had a bunch of people write letters and I had a bunch of people, even people were flying out from all over the country to support me. Um, and the judge, I asked him, could I have an alternative to incarceration, right? Which if you are on ankle monitor, you are still considered, it's still considered incarceration because you're still under the BOP, the Bureau of Prisons supervision, right? right? Mm -hmm. um, they can't leave the house, right? But he was like, no, you deserve to go to prison. And I'm still shocked, like me, you know? Um, yeah. So, but while I was incarcerated, I had a job where I was, I was the town driver, right? And that means that 
I was able to take someone else that I was incarcerated with in a car alone with a cell phone that was able to call the prison and 911 only. It was like an old school flip phone, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I drove them around the state of West Virginia. Um, I would take them sometimes three, four hours away to like hospital visits. Like if they had to have a colonoscopy, I did some, somebody did a sleep study one time. Um, sometimes I'd take them to airports. I would take them to the bus station to go home. And I'm like, you trust me enough and you know that I'm not a danger to just let me drive around in a whole nother state with a but car. But I couldn't just be locked in my else. house. In my house, right? And that's yeah. so asinine to me, you know? Yeah. And it, and it makes it no sense. None. And it also boils down to money. I believe that the per inmate expenditure, um, for me, I think they got like $44,000, right? right? And that is just only like, that's just for room and board, right? But federal prison is, is like a cash cow because right. I had to buy all of my hygiene. Like in jails and, 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 and in state prisons, a lot of times they'll give you stuff. But in federal prison, like you have to buy your soap, um, you know, and then Fuck like, off. yeah, you have, to buy soap, <laughs> you have to buy shampoo, you have to buy toothpaste, you have to buy toothbrushes, tampons. How, how, how are you? And how well, you do get they recently they started giving you sanitary products. OK, OK. Yeah. Which I've learned so many ways to use a tampon. OK, like. <laughs> <laughs> Like they would take the end of this, you know, the string on the end and mm -hmm. untwine it and they would thread eyebrows. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. That makes sense. They, yeah. They would use the, the top part of the tampon to wash dishes because it was, it's textured. Like one side is a little rougher than the other. So one side could scrub and oh then the God. other side clean, right? Um, <laughs> sanitary napkins are really good for um, streak-free glass windows. Like, so if you're cleaning- No freaking away. <laughs> It's so this is, these are just little, you know, sidebars. Well, that's, there's that expression, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. you're in a situation where you've got to come up with ways to do things. So you get creative, apparently. But how are you expected to purchase all of these things? Is it through what you earn with your jobs? Absolutely not. Because uh, my first job, I cleaned the toilets and I made five dollars and 25 cents a month yeah i was gonna say from my what i do know you don't make very much yeah not a day not a week not an hour even five dollars and 25 cents an hour is outrageous but i right. made that for the month why so, bother like why bother you but i had to because when i first got no, there no, why bother why bother paying you <laughs> no, that's true right because when i first got there i was like um i don't think i want a job right like <laughs> get there and they're like uh you don't meet with like your counselor and then like i'm reading through this information i'm like five dollars and 25 cents a month i was like i had seen what how much stuff cost on commissary so like i was saying the markup is really high for so like for some body wash it was like twelve dollars um so shampoo everything was really expensive um even like so like ramen you know like the little ramen yeah. noodles they're generally yeah. like 29 cents in the supermarket but they're a dollar in the prison right so like the markup on everything was they're just, making money off the inmates absolutely i mean so much money i had to buy a pair of work boots and i had to buy some timberlands and they were like 125 dollars. if you want to wear anything other than 
the khaki uniform that they give you, you have to buy it. So like they give you something gray. So you get, they call them, we call them our grays. You get gray sweatpants and you can get gray sweatshirts and gray sweatshorts and like a gray shirt. Those are all expensive. And it's just like, um, like Russell athletics. Right. right? Um, and so I also noticed there's, um, this brand in prison and he must be so paid because he has a contract with the federal prisons and it's, it's a company called Bob Barker, not to be confused with the host of uh, the Wheel Prince of Fortune. Right? <laughs> right. right. So, but he, it's just some company called Bob Barker and they provide the BOP with everything. Wow. And so people like your family, right there, your family has to put money on your books just for you to survive. And that that's, you become a strain and a burden. And that's one of the reasons why I even started the Bend Down Project, because to incarcerate a woman is just such a unique aspect when you take a mother or grandmother or a sister away from their community. And then you realize the impact that it has, because most of the time we're the main caregivers. And then mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, maybe the main provider. Mm -hmm. So when you take that away from the family, you know, it's already difficult. And then you become um, an instant hardship, right? Because, hey, I need some deodorant. You know, I don't want to be, you don't want to be stinky. You know, I just need some soap. These are just the bare necessities. It's not even like you're asking for, you know, the luxuries. So yeah. like, I just want some lotion or, you know what I mean? Was any of that explained to you before you no. went there? Like, Absolutely not. How do you prepare yourself so I mean at some point you know you're going to jail you're going to prison mm -hmm. you know you're gonna serve time like how do you prepare yourself for that when I started um going to I had to start going to court like once a month after my indictment it became really heavy on me so I was like let me get into therapy um, right so I got a therapist and that helped but one of the things I do really well and I don't know that I should be proud of this, <laughs> is I compartmentalize, right? Mm -hmm. So I look at the situation and I decide what I can deal with and what takes priority. And then I take everything else and then I put it up on the shelf, right? Mm -hmm. So once I finally had been sentenced and I knew that I was going to be incarcerated, um, my main priority was my son. And then mm -hmm. after that was my business because in the interim, um, from being on administrative leave, I opened up my own bar, right? Because I had to get a whole new career. I mean, I wasn't working for like seven years. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I didn't, I needed my income still. And I needed, you know, to, to make sure that my son was okay. And so what I ended up doing is I put him in preschool early. I was like, this is a, this is a school that he can stay in. And I was just trying to, to build consistency. Yeah. Exactly. He, I had a nanny who was only working at the time two days a week because like I said, I had my days free, so I didn't really need her. So then gradually I added her on so that she became full-time. So that was another consistency in his life, right? And then she would pick him up from school. Then I would gradually kind of lessen the time that I saw him just so it wouldn't be so drastic. And it was really difficult. Yeah, right. that sounds like like so heartbreaking. Hard. Yeah, but it was like, I felt like I had to do it because yeah. for him to be with me all the time. And I breastfed my son up until he was three, right? Mm -hmm. So we're super close. Um, And so like, you know, it was, it was hard. And so that is just kind of how I handled it. Well, and it's just interesting that, that when Tisha asked, like, how did you prepare for it? It's just such a mom answer. 
that it was so focused on yeah. your son. Yeah. It was all about your son. Yeah. You know, and how do you like, help oh, him adjust? Yeah. And yeah. knowing you're not going to see him for so long, there must have been part of you that just wanted to spend every single second Absolutely. with him. Absolutely. Yeah. But then you know what's best for him mm-hmm. is to actually for you to kind of start pulling away. Yeah. No, I mean, it's what an hard. impossible decision. It was like hard, like the hardest thing I've ever done. Like, even like now, I have a lot of mommy guilt. You know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and some people will be like, you know, since my husband might show me, cause like, I miss like a birthday. I miss like a Christmas, yeah. you know, I miss like these holidays, like, you know, ones that are exciting for him. And, you know, he'll show me photos of like, or I'll see a photo like when I was like incarcerated and it was like on his birthday or Christmas. And then I'll just start crying. Right. Because yeah. I missed it. And yeah. I feel guilty, you know, mm-hmm. and there's no, I can't get that time back. And I think that's the thing about it. Like you can't get that time back, you know, like yeah. no matter what I do now, there's nothing I could do. And then also while I was away, everybody felt bad for my son. Right. So they, he was, they like spoiled him. Rotten. Yeah. And so I get back, my dad came and stayed with my husband so that he could have some support because my husband works a lot. And my dad is retired. And so he was able to come out and, you know, help out, like taking him to school and just kind of hanging out with him. So my son now is super attached to my father, right. you know, because it was kind of like the relationship I had with my son, he kind of transferred it to yeah. my dad. So I'm super grateful yeah. for that. Like it's beautiful that they have that. Exactly. But that it was also like just three men in the house, right? Um, home, like my son it's like 10 11 at night my son is like chilling he's like four and I'm like well what's happening like why why is why isn't he in bed what is he doing like why is he eating McDonald's and Popeye's chicken every day like it was just like you know it it was was for all boy time like I didn't like before I left he wasn't playing video games like now him and my dad are like playing like age inappropriate um PlayStation games, like my son is like amazing at Call of Duty, right? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm, this is, I'm the worst mother ever. Would never ever have let him play it. But then when I came back, like he's like so good at it. And I'm like, I don't want to come back and then be the witch, you, you know, like that all away. Yeah. and then now I have to come back and be the bad guy. And I was to an extent like right with the schedule, but then I was just like, some things I just had to let go. Like, okay, he's playing these violent video games. Isn't it like messed up though as a mom? Like I feel like this is obviously a much more extreme version of that, but I don't know. Like I'm a mom of boys too. And I feel like I'm always the bad guy. Yeah. Always the bad guy. Always the bad guy when it comes to that kind of stuff. (laughs) So we went to prison in 2019. So were you in prison? Like, cause in pandemic times now, like when the pandemic hit or were you already home? Yeah, I was. So I got um, released. It was like, so right when the pandemic kind of started, I was incarcerated and they put us on complete and total lockdown, right? right? We couldn't leave like our cubes or cells. We couldn't shower. It was disgusting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There was times that we needed, that we had to use the bathroom. We had to hurry up. It was just, it was a mess. And they were totally unprepared to deal with it. I mean, much like the rest of the world, right? But especially in federal prison, right? Because the federal government is, well, it's super disorganized. So when 
the pandemic hit, it was crazy. And so I got scared because I was due to leave March 25th. Okay. And they had started, I know. And they were like, you can't leave state lines anymore. And I'm like, what does this mean? Like, if I have to stay in this fucking place a day <laughs> longer, like right. I'm going to freak, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to tear this place up. So yes. I'm well, I just think that. of like in a prison, there's so many people. Yeah. And in my prison um, in particular, there's about 1200 women. Yeah. Like what did, I mean? So you, you couldn't leave your room cell, whatever you're going to call it. And you couldn't like, sh- like, you know, we have, we're women and we have is- issues every time one, at least once, you know, once a couple a month, of times but you got month, some stuff, right? you got some stuff. So, to yeah. Deal with. <laughs> yeah. Like I, this is I like, come on, please. You know? And, um, nope. And they were, they were just rigid like that anyway. Like, um, there were women once the, um, their lights out, like you couldn't use the showers. I was fortunate enough to be, because this was one of the things I was super worried about. Like I thought I was gonna have to be in this massive room um, showering with like a bunch of women watching me, like, and just, you know, I'm just picturing this one big shower head and we're just all soaping up, you know what I mean? Like another, like, cause these are the type of things that you see in the movies. Cause you see the movies. Yeah. 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 I've watched Orange is the New Black. Right, exactly. So I was lucky enough, we had stalls, right? Um, so we could close ourselves in with like a latch and it yep. was like little metal stalls. So, but they were all, it was like one room and it was away from the cubes. So you had to kind of go down there. Um, but um, yeah, but when we would like at lights out in the middle of the night, like I knew a couple of people, like if you, you know, messed yourself in the night yes. as you do at times you want to get up and you want to shower and change your clothes um if you got caught in the shower you would get um reprimanded and you would get a shot that's what we called um written citations we called them shots and you would get a shot and a shot could um enhance your prison time right right? because you're when you come in you get a certain amount of good days off but anytime you get an, an infraction or get in trouble they will add a day to your sentence right um so because you're getting days off for good behavior basically assumed good behavior yes Mm -hmm. initially Mm -hmm. that's interesting that they assume good behavior i mean that's good yeah i wouldn't expect that to be honest exactly it's not even really days off it's just away from the prison because i had to serve my entire you know time i just didn't have to serve it all in the in the prison So March 25th came upon you, then what happened? Were you so my to... husband was able to come and get me. He was, My husband okay. and my cousin, yeah. Okay. So that was- um, So you, but your, so your husband was able to come and get you. Yeah, he was able to come and get me. And then I actually feel like um, for a lot of women, the pandemic kind of helped get them home a little earlier Faster. on ankle monitor, right? Because people were dying, right. you know? And mm-hmm. that's a big liability. Yeah. That's another thing, you are freezing in prison, right? Because they have to keep the temperatures low because they say that it helps to contain viruses. So it was like, really? I was incarcerated in the mountains in West Virginia. So it was very cold. cold. And then it was like, sometimes like I fe- it felt like it was more cold inside of the prison and everything is cement. 
right um mm-hmm. so you're, it's like you know enhanced by that cement like it's like holding strong to that cold, cold yeah yeah and then we only were allowed one set of linen um so one of the things that we would do we would try to you know get additional linen right and like try to steal it basically so like if someone was leaving and he'd be like hey can you go down and get your linen i really want your linen i need your blanket i'm freezing at night so yeah. if you were caught and the blankets were very very flimsy right um if you were caught with a blanket you would get in trouble like they would take your extra set of linen and you would get a shot right if you were um, caught oh wow mm-hmm. did you ever get a shot i never got a shot good for you <laughs> yeah. no, I was like, but I it sounds I like it's easy to get one super easy but i'm an angel like for real there <laughs> you were when you were there especially <laughs> no like really though like and that's even why i was able to have my job right so when people found out that i was able to go out into the community um there is no smoking on federal um in federal prisons mm-hmm. so everybody's like oh my man can meet you out and bring and you can bring in this carton of cigarettes and you can make a thousand dollars off this carton of cigarettes and i'm like first of all where do you think i'm hiding these cigarettes okay <laughs> right it's not it's not gonna be where you think it's gonna be not first happening all, it's not happening <laughs> second of all i don't care about having a thousand dollars in prison i was like how much ramen does one need to buy you know what i mean like and thirdly i was like you think i'm gonna extend and uh, risk spending extra days here for your cigarettes and that would be an actual um additional charge because it would be considered um introducing like calm contraband to the compound right Right. so that could just get a whole nother sentence from that and i also see now why you know it's so easy to stay in prison because it's so easy to rack up random charges because of that right like yeah. women um who are in relationships and they get caught having sex with each other that's an additional charge right um which you probably don't think about no you know? and, no and it's very common to have relationships while incarcerated because you just a lot of times it's you just need some comfort yeah you, mm-hmm. you're, you're traumatized and so and then some people are just you're just queer right so queer like i tease like i um my bar was considered a safe space for queer people of color and i used to tease like some of my friends that were write me and i'd be like listen if you ever go to prison like you will win okay because (laughs) there is nothing but beautiful women here (laughs) ton of women here and they will want you and you are masculine presenting and that is where it's at Right. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is like when a new we would call them studs, like if a new stud came on the compound, like everybody was like, oh, did you see the new stud? I'm going to give her some ramen. Um, you know, like, I mean, it's just <laughs> and I used to just laugh like everything was just really comical, you know, and of course it had its times and there were fights and different things like that. But I was able to avoid all of that because mm-hmm. I was older, too. Right. I was in my 40s, so I'm not going into prison and and making like trying to prove something well and getting involved in the drama and any of that that. you just you wanted to get home to your family and Mm -hmm. and deal with all of that so now you're coming on to two years since you Mm -hmm. have been out so um may 1st will make two full years well, that's right, because you got out of prison, but then you were on ankle monitor at home. And I, I, they didn't let me go home immediately. 
I have to go to a halfway house. So I guess it's the halfway house is for to transition you before you go home. Cause I guess they feel like they don't want you to just have too, too much freedom. Right. Um, right so away. Cause you just might go crazy. You might just go crazy. Right. With this <laughs> newfound freedoms. <laughs> so, um, that was also hard too, because I told my husband, don't bring, you know, my son when you pick me up. Cause he's not going to understand when I have to go to this random house, Yeah, you know, yeah. and um, not home. So, and not home. So then I had to, you know, prolong seeing him again. And the halfway house was maybe worse than um, prison in a lot of ways. One, just because even like um, mentally, you know, you're so close from home to home, yeah. right? I'm like, my halfway house was like 2.3 miles away from my well, house. Well, I was going to ask, were you back in DC at that point or yeah, did you have to stay I was in, in West Virginia? Mm-hmm. Okay. They, give you, they give you a halfway house in the city that year going back to right okay. and in yeah. some places you know it's a little it's like some places it might be an hour and a half away from your house but for me dc is a small city so yeah. it was it was close and so it was like this is stupid that i have to be here and then it was like duties like right like i'm just like so i had to like mop the steps that was my job in the halfway house which is mm. really annoying yeah mop and sweep and then you had to like sign off and i had to do it twice a day and these are things that like i had never i had never done this before in my life like i've never swept or mopped steps right <laughs> like i grew up in los angeles we had one story house like i don't even know what this means so <laughs> I was just like, oh, I hate all of this. I hate all this labor. I just want to get home. (laughs) Um. (laughs) It was so bougie. I'm so bougie. Like my friends laughed at me. They were like, I can't believe you're going to prison, right? Because even when I travel and even my husband, like we'll go to a hotel room and I do like this inspection and he's like, I'm not even going to unpack because I know we're about to switch rooms. Because there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, cause I don't know what is this on the wall right here. Um, let's let's move. I don't like it. Let's let's switch rooms. You know, sometimes we have to. Switch now you're off. going to prison. And then I'm going to prison, right? And then the crazy thing is, like, I'm sleeping on. We all had to use. It was used linen, right? So they just the prison would just wash it and give it to you. So there's like menstrual stains all on it, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> like that's not because they're not. It's not my stains, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> So, so then are you, these are things you would never think of now, never. like I'm you're sharing these in the middle of the bed, like holding my knees, like scared. Like, I don't know what kind of critters, like, I don't know anything. Like yeah. it was crazy. Yeah. So do you, are you more bougie now or less after your experience in prison? Um, I think I've become a little, <laughs> I'm a little more relaxed. Right. But I still yeah. don't want to sleep on like the flower bre- bed spreads at a hotel. No, right? well, I mean, no, Almost, yeah. no. I remember one time the prison that I was at was huge, right? So like just to go eat, I had to like walk a mile. Um, So when we had to go drop off the linen, it was almost a mile too. And you had to drop it off by seven in the morning, right? Like, so everything, everything happens super early in prison, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I was dropping off my linen, you drop it off your dirty linen and they give you like your clean linen all rolled up. And I remember he gave me this clean linen, the guard, and it had like, um, just like, tears and holes all in it and I was just looking at it and I just and I went to him and I was like please <laughs> can I just have a, some linen without holes in it and he laughed and he was like okay right but generally they don't exchange it but like the condition of this linen was so, so terrible bad, yeah 
you know that he he had to even laugh like all right we like, knew that okay, I wasn't you've got like, a point here you got a point like he was like all right but so shut up <laughs> <laughs> were you able to go back to doing the work that you were doing prior to all of this so I probably can never work in education again. Yeah, I was assuming mm-hmm. that. And definitely, I can't go back to the DC schools. No, probably not. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But is that, I remember, like I read on your bio somewhere that you went to Howard University. Is mm-hmm. that what you studied for? No. Um, okay. I got my master's in education, but okay. uh, undergraduate, my so I was like, just really into just exploration, right? So when I went to undergrad, I remember my junior year, my counselor called me my advisor, and she was like, you need to declare a major. And I was like, Oh, and I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And she was like, Well, if you want to graduate, like, you, you have, have to declare a major and right now with me over the phone. And I was like, Okay, what do I have the most classes? in? Yeah. Right. And she was like, um, Spanish. And I was like, boom, that's my there we go. <laughs> so you majored in Spanish. Yes. Okay. I wanted to go back to this idea that we were talking about before about people who are in prison. Mm-hmm. You met people like you while you yeah. were in there. So, okay. Funny thing before I went to prison, right. I was embarrassed right? Because it has such a stigma. So mm-hmm. I didn't want anybody at the bar to know that I was being incarcerated. I didn't want to, I didn't tell a lot of people. So I came up with this really astronomical lie. And I told everyone that I was going to study with a shaman in a rainforest. I didn't even specify the country, right? I'm just assuming Brazil, right? Um, sure. But I needed a, a, a lie that was ridiculous enough that worked where, you know, I'm not going to be responding to your emails because the rainforest and then I can't answer the phone or text messages because the rainforest. So um this is the lie that I told I mean people. it's a great cover story. Thank you. Well, I thought it's, so. it, well it's like one of those things that it's like so outrageous that you almost like, have to believe it. Like why that? would you lie about that? Yeah. Right. You know who's gonna lie about that but okay. me. Me I did right yeah. no so yeah. um so I went away and I met all these women and one of the the good things about my position was I was able, like generally you can really only interact with people within your unit, but because I was the town driver, I was able to meet a lot of different women. Yeah. And when you're just kind of one-on-one with them on the road, like everybody wanted to share their story with me. So yeah. I was able to get just a lot of insight and just meet so many various women from like various walks of life, right? And mm-hmm. everybody shared their story. And, you know, some people were absolutely had done wrong, right? And some people, it was like, a, it was a lot of technicalities, a lot of technicalities with the federal government, I will say that. But one of the consistencies was that no matter what they were convicted of, I never thought that the punishment warranted that crime, right? And so I begin to see like how the, the government was almost obsessed with incarceration. Mm-hmm. right like on um, one lady and god bless her she was sweet like pie but up here no ma'am she was a widow 
and she was receiving social security from her you know husband who was deceased and then she got remarried and so for two months she collected on his social security before stopping it and i did she do it on purpose i'm not sure was it a lot of money absolutely not no. but she got like a year and a day in federal prison for that it was her first defense and this was like a you know this was like a grandmother there were a lot of like older women that were incarcerated too you know it, it was just it was shocking you know and so that's what i said like you never think like what does someone who's incarcerated look like there mm -hmm. is no prototype there's no, there's no one way there's no one way you know when you're thinking yeah there might be somebody that has a ton of tattoos and they're incarcerated but then there also were like grandmothers like with walkers or you know just people that you've never anticipated being incarcerated the one lady that i knew that was the oncologist her company she hired a company to do her medical billing and apparently they fudged it and you know because they were billing for medicaid and that's federal money and right. they messed it up and so she ended up getting 20 years in prison because of the amount of money that they had misbilled for and they were like you know she should have known like everything with the government is like the federal government you should have known right so not not having knowledge of the law does not excuse you from it mm -hmm. so even though she wasn't the person doing the billing that's yeah. crazy. It was her business and right. she would have been benefiting from it. Exactly. And they right. were like, you should have known. And she was just like this older, you know, doctor. And she was, she was like, you know, I was busy. I, I wasn't even paying attention to the money. Like I'm, you know, my patients are dying. This is what I'm focusing on. You know, I'm doing and I hired a company to do it. So I wouldn't have to, but I wouldn't have to. Right. She was also like, I don't even know how to do it. You know, like, so I'm, yeah. I know how to treat people for cancer. That's just so wild. So what does your life look like now? So now I am back in school. I'm currently now at Georgetown University. I am in an entrepreneurship program okay. mm -hmm. and I like it. It's a lot of work and I hadn't been to school in years, you know. It's a lot. And you've got, you're a mom, like. I'm a mom, been, right? You got so, other things going on. Yeah. I and mean, then I'm trying to, I ended up closing my bar during the pandemic. So right. I would like to open up in another space. I had kind of outgrown it and it didn't have the capacity to do the transitional outdoor seating. Mm -hmm. So it just really wasn't worth keeping it open because rent in DC is very expensive and I didn't mm -hmm. want to just continue paying on it while it was closed. So, well, I feel I like it was a wild time to be in the hospitality industry anyway. It was. Luckily, my staff, that's what I cared about the most. Like, oh my God, they're going to lose their jobs. I also have a restaurant. The restaurant was able to stay open because we always had the kind of carry out infrastructure, mm -hmm. right? Which was what a lot of restaurants struggled with mm -hmm. because they didn't have that to go aspect already so right. we had kind of a restaurant where you come in and you you come up and you order right yeah. we didn't have like a waiter doesn't come to the table so yeah. it was already this to go um kind of you know infrastructure so i was able to that staff was able to be absorbed at the restaurant and so everybody was able to keep their jobs so i was kind of thankful for that and then the restaurant mm -hmm. um was doing really well Unfortunately, because of the George Floyd situation, a lot of people came out to support, you know, black businesses, right? So that yeah. was, it was a plus. So I was able to make more money and pay those employees. It was just, you know, lucky. Cause that's what I really felt bad about. Yeah. Because you have that, that responsibility 
and that weight on your shoulders that other people are depending on your business for their livelihood. It's not just you. Right. 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 So that that does make sense. So I'm glad that that worked out for you. Do you think that if you were white, anything would have worked differently in your case? I, so I know I think about this all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that I don't think, I think it would have been, they would have been more inclined to drop the case, right? I don't think they would have gone all of the way. Right. As far as the judge, the judge always sentenced within the guidelines. Um, mm-hmm. And so what happens is um, everything within the federal sentencing, they have, they have sentencing guidelines. So mm-hmm. you're almost, you, you can always go to prison if you get convicted of a federal crime, because the lowest sentencing guideline is from zero to six months, right? Okay. So the, the, at mat, at minimum, you know, you could go, I mean, a max, you could go for six months, you know, number, everything is a number, everything is calculated. Um, they totally miscalculated ours, but because I signed the plea, there was really nothing I could do about it. So mm-hmm. I, you know, he sentenced me at the lower end mm-hmm. of, you know guidelines because it was 12 to 48 months you know and he sentenced me to 13 and then he sentenced my co-defendant to a year and a day that's reasonable like they didn't go for the max sentencing Mm -hmm. that they could give you but yeah I do wonder like would they have kept pursuing it for so many years and trying to like find some type of charge that was going to stick and I think I had like a black attorney too, who was like a, mm-hmm. an ass. He was an asshole. Love him. He fought for me. He right? was good for you, yeah. but but it also probably didn't help because they. I think it just frustrated them, you know, because he was like, no, this is not going to work, right? You know, and I think like he used to get into it with the AUSA all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be like, oh my God, this is my life. <laughs> like, what is going on? But he was, he was fighting for you. Right? He was. He like was. He was. for your best interest. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it was like, it was like double blackness, right? Like I'm Too much. black, yeah. he's black, right? And then they're like fighting. And so I often think about that. And then I guess we just won't know. Can't know. You know? Yeah. Because yeah. one of the things I do now through the Bend Down Project is I talk to women who are getting sentenced. Sentencing is the hardest part of it all because it is, again, the anxiety and the anticipation of the unknown, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, they're like, I'm like, you, you're going crazy. You're doing all this research online and you're looking up cases that are similar to yours and you're trying to see what these people were sentenced to. And none of that matters because it's very specific to your judge. Right? right. And so that's what I tell women. I was like, you can look this up all, all you want, but it's your federal judge who is going to make this determination. And if he likes you, he, you know, he does, if he sentences within the guidelines, if he doesn't, you can look up maybe his history of sentencing to kind of get a, an idea of that. I was like, but you're never going to know because every case is so specific. I can totally relate to that, trying to research and find the answers on the internet and like going down a rabbit hole where you're rabbit really never going to get the answer, right? Never. There's never going to be a case that's exactly like yours that has the same judge the mm-hmm. exact same circumstances. Yeah. Exact same, there's never, it's never going to happen. 
And right. you gotta just, and I'm like, you have to let that go. Like I was just telling this one woman and I was like, does your co-defendant have the same judge? And she was like, no, I was like, well, it doesn't matter. Doesn't right? matter. Like, <laughs> well, it, it matter. probably goes down even to like how that judge is doing on that day. Right? Like Absolutely. If it's and, and like, that's the thing. we're humans and, we and are human. that is yeah. just. Could have gotten to an argument with the spouse that morning or their mm-hmm. kids did something, their car could have gotten broken into you. You could have gotten a flat tire and that Who is knows? another thing. You that... remind them of their ex-wife. I was like, just going to say, you remind them of some like horrible ex they had. <laughs> that is another thing, another issue, right? Like this is why, again, it's not fair that my life was up to this one man no matter mm-hmm. what his, like what how, you know, whatever his day was whatever he's day. going through whatever yeah. his beliefs are you know and you could say like oh i'm i'm not biased i mean really you know everyone what I mean? is everyone, everyone is it's everyone natural is. it is natural can you talk yeah. to us more about the bend down project and what you do I mean, I would imagine you started it as a result of your experience, but kind of tell us a little bit. So kind of, again, like, so after meeting all of these women, I think my eyes just opened, right? And I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm not ashamed of anymore. Like, I feel like the Department of Justice should be ashamed for incarcerating these mothers, these daughters, these sisters, you know what I mean? Um, And so upon my release, I, um, well, a little bit after, like, December of 2020, mm-hmm. I started the Bend Down Project. And um, it's basically, it's my digital platform and it's my stories and my voice where I'm just talking about what happened to me, um, kind of shedding a light on the federal criminal justice system and also just trying to, um, you know, destigmatize and humanize what it means to be incarcerated, mm-hmm. right? Because I was completely um, guilty of it myself just the way that I perceived people that were incarcerated, yeah, you know? And I, because I I didn't care also because it didn't affect me directly. So just opening people's eyes to that. So some of the things I do, I do it kind of with a sense of humor, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're always just talking about, you know, the harshness of, of prison, it can be very daunting, you know, people don't want to hear that all the time. So I, I do it with a little bit of humor. I also feel like um, my my charge is more palatable, um, right? Than absolutely that don't have a murder charge, which is I'm not judging people that do, but that is a more difficult um, charge to it feels explain. less forgivable. Exactly. When you yeah. say you went to jail for an email, people that's more relatable, maybe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, I mean, I yeah. think it also drives home the point that it could be anyone. It could happen to anyone. Right. Also, what I do is I try to support women through, I guess, coaching and mentoring, right? So if you're about to go to prison, if you're mm-hmm. facing incarceration um, while you're incarcerated and just helping their family, just how do, mm-hmm. how do you put money on the books? What, what can I take to prison? Um, how do I write? You know, what, are the, what do I need to do? Um, and then, and then coming out of prison, right. Which can be really difficult yeah. um, because in certain places, if you have a felony, you can't, you know, it's hard. Landlords don't want to rent to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I first got out and I was on probation, I found a commercial spot that I really wanted to open the bar in and they would not give it to me because I was on probation and they were like, you could go back to prison at any time. So we're going to pass. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. right. So like, it was like a, Oh, okay. This is, um, this is real, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think sometimes like, I don't, 
even think like, oh, I'm a felon, you know, and I've well, that's I've been that's not that doesn't define you. Right, right. You know, so I still kind of just keep it like, oh, it's business as usual, especially now that I've dropped the shame. Right. And I've just come out and it took like Mm -hmm. a huge weight off of my shoulders too to not have to live with that stupid shaman lie. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So did you then go to people you had lied to and said, by the way, I I wasn't in a range. I was not that humble. Right. I I definitely (laughs) was not. I was like, they gonna find out from my Instagram page. They can or, just stay, they can <laughs> find it out. <laughs> you can find out when everybody else finds out, right? Like, <laughs> it's interesting though what you're talking like the women and the mothers and the federal justice system is you know taking out of the communities. And I've talked a lot like here and just kind of throughout the pandemic how it's this whole time has really highlighted how little the like government thinks of women, you know what I mean? And, and just that moms will just be there to homeschool children, virtual school children, and moms will walk away from their jobs because their families need them to, to be home. And it, you know, just like a complete lack of seeing all that women bear on a day-to-day basis. And this is just like another way that, that kind of shows that, um, which is just even the whole mental health aspect of it all. Right. I mean, just even like having to be on lockdown and just seeing the way people are falling apart, you know, having to be at home, especially if you're a single woman, you know, and you're by yourself. Like that has been so difficult for a lot of people. Just the rise. And we'll tell you all about it. Well, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a widow with two small boys. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, um, it's a lot, but it, that it's what you experienced in the prison system though, mm-hmm. kind of almost doesn't explain it, but it's like, well, this has been going on for a while, obviously. It's yeah, just, so all of, it's, it definitely helped the cause. Like, you know, everybody is like, oh my God, I'm feeling so isolated and this is, this is cruel and da, 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 da. But then you think about, okay, people that have been in prison for years yeah. in solitary confinement, right? Like, how do you think that they're faring, you know? And I think it's just, people are talking more about it now, where if, as before, a few years ago, if there was zero conversations about it, you know? And will I ever be going and speaking in front of Congress? I'm not sure, right? But I just try to do my part and just make people aware of what's going on, you Mm -hmm. know? And Mm -hmm. I'd love to do more. I've seen on your stories, you do this, like, ask me anything and people really ask you anything. (laughs) They do anything, anything. And so, and that's kind of even how I started my TikTok. Like I would just take, I would save one of the questions and then just put it on my TikTok. Put it on TikTok, yeah. It seems like a really amazing way to reach people and social media is a great, I think a great place to start with sharing your story and elevating yeah. your voice. And we really believe in like the, obviously the power of story and, and sharing experiences because mm-hmm. it's how we, we grow in empathy. It's how we learn more about different experiences. And I think it's really how we build community. Absolutely. Yeah. When people share their stories, you know, people are so wise. Like all these people are just walking around with all this wisdom that they're just not sharing because- or that we don't even know how wise they are because they don't share their stories. So, you know, there's that. And just like Jen said, just trying to hear 
different people's lived experience and help people sort of develop some empathy in that way and understand what other people really are going through. Yeah. And, and also to let other people know that they're not alone because other people are, lots of people are in prisons. They are. Lots. So many messages, like when I post something like, oh my God, I was incarcerated. I was this and this and this. You're so brave to tell your story, you know? And I, I haven't in a while, like I've been kind of stagnant. I haven't posted on my Instagram in a long time because I used to do where I would spotlight formerly incarcerated women, but it's so hard to find a woman who is um, open to, sh- to, to just saying that I was formerly incarcerated, yeah. right? Mm-hmm that's because of the stigma and, you know, a lot of them, cause we're mothers and, you know, just being judged and just different things like associated with that. It's, you know, so I haven't been able to find anyone. Like, I feel like I've exhausted all of my efforts and my energy, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's, well, you know, we, so much is fueled through shame, right? From mm-hmm. like the way we're marketed to, to, to just, you know, the way, way we interact. And I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. my opinion is that life's too short for that shit yeah but it's hard but I but I think it's only through the more that we share things that either we felt shame about or people perceive as being shameful that we can kind of break that stigma absolutely to even get to the point of that right um yeah. and so like even before I came out with my story because everybody was like oh when are you going to do it you need to do it you need to do it you know because it took me from like May to December to really be like all right you know but I'm like I had to look at myself and then I had to think about like what is my threshold right like Mm -hmm. what are the buttons that somebody can push Mm -hmm. um you know if I share this very vulnerable part of me and what can someone say that is going to just crush and destroy me right and Mm -hmm. then once I kind of figured out it's not much, or if, 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 if somebody did say something, or this is the worst case scenario, the worst case scenario was not the worst case scenario, right? Like, so now I'm just kind of like, ah. somebody would be like, oh my God, you're, you know, like they all put under one of my um, videos, you're such a criminal. And I'll be like, oh, God bless you. Like, you know, or <laughs> like, thanks for the feedback, right? Like I have zero cares. Like, yeah. and it's a lot of it is funny. What would you hope that somebody might take from hearing your story? Like, I don't even know that you could say, like, give someone advice as to how to avoid your situation, because right. it's not like you were trying to be uh, in any kind yeah. of a situation. I wasn't. It was, you know, I have this joke um, only amongst my friends right now. It's going to be amongst all of your followers um, <laughs> that I was like, you know, if I knew that I was going to be a felon and go to prison, I would have lived a felon lifestyle, right? Like... I don't, I didn't come home to like any hidden money or like, you know, like I wasn't living it up pre prison because I had taken money. Like I wasn't on yachts and like, you know, right. just doing foolishness. Right. Like, yeah. so like, I'm, you know, they're laughing at me and I'm like, I was like, no, but for real, like, right. I was like, I was like a model. It was like, I said, like, I'm was like being a model citizen. I was doing everything I thought I was supposed to and surprise. So, um, I think, I would just say what I want you to take is just, you know, don't judge people, right? Um, That's Mm -hmm. to me kind of a a big thing, right? Just, you know, never really judging someone. You don't know their situation. You don't know what they were in or what they were facing or up against. So just kind of being 
you know, I think we're all, we can all be so judgmental at times, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something everybody could use these days, a reminder to like yeah. lay off. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I do. Like now I just, I kind of just don't sweat the small stuff. Right. Because like I tell people, I feel like I know what it feels like to get the rug pulled out from underneath you, mm-hmm. you know? And so a lot of stuff in the grand scheme of things just doesn't matter. Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, both Jen and I can relate to having the rug pulled out from under us. And that's um, sort of why we started this podcast. So there you go. Thank you, Amber, so much for sharing with us. We, I love meeting you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we were able to come together. Yes. Yes. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Until next time, remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.